0: This is The Guardian. Ever wondered if there's another you somewhere out there with a totally different life? What, like an Ian who can scale skyscrapers with his bare hands or has a black belt in kung fu? This idea that there could be distinct versions of ourselves across multiple universes is explored in the genre-bending film Everything Everywhere All At Once, which has been cleaning up at awards ceremonies and looks set to do very well at the Oscars this weekend. And the Spirit Award goes to (laughs) Everything Everywhere All At Once.
1: And the critic's choice for best picture is Everything Everywhere All At Once.
0: It follows a seemingly ordinary woman, played by Michelle Yeoh, who suddenly discovers that not only does the multiverse exist, but she's the worst possible version of herself. The idea may seem fantastical, but multiverses do spring from theoretical physics, even if scientists are nowhere near agreeing on whether they're real. So here in this world, we're also going to dive into the multiverse, or at least the science behind it. Could there really be several yous out there? And are they all having more fun? From The Guardian, I'm Ian Sample, and this is Science Weekly. Sean Carroll, you're a theoretical physicist and philosopher at Johns Hopkins University. First of all, why do you think the concept of the multiverse captures the imagination the way it does?
1: The concept of the multiverse in science has obviously been enjoying a bit of a renaissance lately, but it's an older idea, right? You know, just the idea of imagining other ways things could be or things could have been. I think what really drives it, it's... Regret. (laughs) Regret and hope. It's the idea that, you know, I did something when I was in high school, the ramifications of that decision have been with me for a long time. If I had done something different, I would be living in a very different world. And now science and philosophy come along and say, yeah, maybe there is someone who did something different and actually lives in that world.
0: It's funny how we never really think of these other selves as being total losers or even more losers than we are in the world we know they're
1: always better you know there's a line in the movie everything everywhere all at once where the protagonist played by Michelle Yeoh is told that she is the worst of all the versions of herself in all the multiverse but part of the lesson there is that it's still not that bad Uh, she's still quite an admirable character in many ways and What I like to emphasize is even if there is a multiverse, even if there are other people in other universes who very closely resemble ourselves, they're not us. There's one person per universe that is you. And so you might feel happy or sad for the ones in the other universes, but don't feel responsible for them.
0: They don't know you and I are in this universe yet, so hopefully I'll have some time to explain. I'm not your husband, and he's not the one you know. I'm another version of one from another life path, another universe. I'm here because we need your help. So physics describes a bunch of different kinds of multiverse. Which one gets the sort of most attention in pop culture, would
1: you say? There was a time certainly not that long ago when what we call the cosmological multiverse was very much in vogue and, and still is in scientific circles. That's the idea that Just very, very far away, there are different regions of the universe, but the language is a little bit slippery here. Different regions of space-time where conditions are very, very different. The laws of physics locally might seem very, very different. And if that's true, what it helps explain is why certain aspects of our universe seem unusual to us. For example, the masses of the particles, the energy in space-time itself... Had these numbers been different, it's possible that it would have been impossible for life to exist. Maybe there's a whole bunch of other universes where life doesn't exist. It's very natural that we're going to find ourselves in the one where life does exist.
0: So this one comes from, I
1: think, the sort of rapid expansion of the universe, that cosmic inflation, right? Well, there are two things. There's first the idea that there can be different regions of space-time where the local conditions are radically different, including the laws of physics. That idea comes from a number of different sources, but the most famous one is string theory, the idea that we can unify all the forces by imagining that we're not made of particles but of little loops of string. That's a very simple thing to say, but it has enormous consequences, including the idea that there are extra dimensions of space-time, they can be curled up in different ways, and all the different curlings give us different local laws of physics. Then it's the idea of inflation in the early universe, a period of super rapid expansion that never ends, that brings to life all of these different possibilities. Both ideas, both string theory and inflation, are still speculative. We don't know whether they're true or not, but they're very, very popular and very, very uh, plausible on their surface.
0: And of course, after those, we have the many worlds idea that comes out of Quantum mechanics and Hugh Everett the PhD thesis in the nineteen fifties. Is there a way of explaining to our listeners how that works without melting their brains right away?
1: I like the melting the brains. I don't think we should resist melting the brains. I think that we just gotta bite the bullet and do that. That's okay. <laughs> you know, quantum mechanics was put together in the first quarter of the twentieth century, and where it landed was this idea that something like an electron doesn't have a position. When you look at an electron, you see it with some position, but the idea of looking and measuring and observing is very special in quantum mechanics. And when you're not looking at it, it's in what we call a superposition. Or if you want to bring it a little bit more down to earth, an electron can be spinning either clockwise or counterclockwise. And quantum mechanically, it's generally in a superposition of both before you look at it. And then if you just follow the equations and ask what happens, when you measure The outcome, when you look at the spin of an electron or the position, you don't see this superposition. You see a definite outcome. What happened to all the other possible things that you could have seen? Everett's idea is that they're all real. They all become real in that active measurement. And now we're in a superposition of different universes, a universe where you saw the electron spinning clockwise and a universe where you saw the electron spinning counterclockwise. This is actually, as mind-bending as it is, to me— Far and away, the most likely to be real version of the multiverse. And what does it mean, though, for there to be another universe? The lesson of quantum mechanics up and down is that what we see and what there is are two kind of different things. Whatever it says is basically this idea of what we call a wave function, a quantum mechanical way of describing these superpositions of all the possibilities. It's not just a convenient tool for making predictions, it's real. And if you just Take that at face value and say, what should you observe if the wave function is really real? What individual observers observe is just what we see. They see that they're in an individual universe where measurement outcomes are definite. But elsewhere in the wave function, there are all these other universes where we see different things. So it's a challenge to completely change your idea about what reality is and how it works. But it all comes out of a set of equations that were based on fitting experimental data. So I need a bit of help in understanding what's going on here in
0: terms of what people like yourselves, physicists and so on, really mean when they use this particular language? Because people talk about, when they talk about many worlds, we often hear about universes splitting, there being multiple versions of of the universe of ourselves. But I don't know if that's just sort of, we've got carried away with the science fiction or if there's better language that we should be using to describe what the physics actually says.
1: You know, this debate over language goes back to Everett himself and his thesis advisor, who was John Wheeler, a famous physicist in his own right. And they butted heads a little bit because Everett introduced the language of the universe splitting. And in his first version of his PhD thesis, he literally used an analogy of an amoeba splitting. And Wheeler said, no, you can't use that. that that's not what we want to say. You've got to erase that. And so Everett did, but in the published version, while he was correcting the page proofs, he sneaked in a footnote saying, it's kind of like an amoeba splitting. (laughs) So he really actually hung on to that language as being metaphorical, but vivid and accurate. ¶¶
0: So what happens, Sean, do we end up with a sort of an exponential growth in universes and and the stuff within universes as this splitting and splitting of the splitting
1: goes on and on and on? We know very little about the very obvious question to ask, how many universes are there, except to say there's a huge number of them. Let's put it that way. We don't even know if the number is finite or infinite. It's certainly a large number because literally every time a tiny quantum mechanical system that is in a superposition becomes entangled with the rest of the world, the world branches into multiple possibilities. And that's something that happens many, 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 many times Per second. So, yes, exponential growth, uh, but we don't even know if the answer is finite or infinite.
0: So am I triggering multiple universes just by standing here interviewing you, Sean, or are these quantum entanglements
1: that you're talking about quite rare events? These quantum entanglements are quite common events. So for example, in a typical human body, a radioactive decay happens about 5,000 times per second. Don't worry, you have a lot of atoms in your body. This is nothing new. This has always gone on. But when that radioactive decay happens, you have a nucleus of an atom that is in a single state all by itself, and then it decays. And that decayed set of particles quickly becomes entangled with the outside world. They bump into things, okay? So you have a quantum system that is in a superposition becoming entangled and therefore branching the wave function of the universe 5,000 times per second just in a single body. And there's a lot of bodies out there.
0: But I guess I'm wondering whether this means that there is stuff being created as in, you know, where if the universe splits... Where do the lumps of meat come to make the new Sean Carroll?
1: Ah, the answer is that each Sean Carroll is skinnier now, (laughs) which is, you know, maybe good, but it's all relative. So this is an interesting question because at the level of what the equations are predicting, there is zero ambiguity. It's perfectly clear what's happening. No expert is really worried about this. But the metaphors break down. It's very hard to explain. When the universe splits, the two universes it splits into, let's say for simplicity, aren't as big as the original universe. In a very precise mathematical sense, they're both thinner, and the thickness of the two new universes adds up to the thickness of the one previous universe. But what the reason why you don't notice that is because not only you are thinner in the quantum mechanical wave function, but everything you're interacting with is also by exactly the same amount. In the
0: many-worlds theory, these different universes are related. They peel off from one another. Do you think it's possible, like in lots of the Hollywood depictions, for these universes to interact with one another? Could we go
1: between them as characters do in the movie? It's almost certainly impossible to travel from universe to universe, certainly in our current understanding. Again, we should be careful because we don't know. We haven't built one of these universes, or actually we have built many of these universes, but we've never talked to them. That's what the equations are telling us. We never will. That's, that's kind of why these different branches, as we call them, should be considered separate universes, because the equations predict that what happens in one branch has absolutely no effect on what happens in other other branches. So it's very easy to make them. The equations predict that they're there. People who don't like it, people who don't want to believe in that possibility, have to change the equations of quantum mechanics to get rid of them. But if you believe the equations as they are, the universes are there, but they cannot talk to each other.
0: You mentioned there that some people don't like this theory. And there are physicists who are skeptical about the many worlds interpretation. So if we can't
1: interact with these other universes, can the idea ever be tested? Well, the many-worlds interpretation is super-duper testable in the sense that it is falsifiable. What Hugh Everett posited is that The universe is described by a quantum mechanical wave function and it obeys this famous equation, the Schrodinger equation, which we know that the universe does when we're not measuring it. So all you need to do to falsify the many worlds interpretation is to do an experiment where a quantum mechanical system violates the Schrodinger equation even when it's not being measured. And guess what? these experiments are being done right now. So if your criterion for something being scientific is that we can imagine how to falsify it, there is no more falsifiable theory than many worlds.
0: Sean, if there are these multiple universes, do you think that the same laws of physics will apply throughout those? Or do you think there'll be universes where the rules of physics, the laws of physics might be slightly different? Of course, the only reason I'm asking is that in Everything Everywhere All at Once, the inhabitants of one of the universes have these sort of hot dogs for fingers. And I'm just really disconcerted that there might be
1: another version of me out there like that somewhere you shouldn't be disconcerted, uh, not because there couldn't be such a person, but because, again, it's not you. Don't worry about it. That's a hot dog-fingered person. That is not someone <laughs> that you personally are responsible for. You're not unlovable. You're not unlovable. What are you talking about? There is always something to love. Even in a stupid, stupid universe where we have hot dogs for fingers, we get very good with our feet. It's possible that all sorts of weird things occur in the multiverse, you know? It's kind of like José Luis Borges' wonderful short story about the library of Babel, where every book that you could possibly imagine is there, because it's literally every sequence of letters and numbers and punctuation marks is there. And... What that means is every book ever written and every book yet to be written and every book that you can imagine being written is there in this huge library. And that sounds like, how does it know to have all those books in there? But most of the books are crazy nonsense. They're just random sets of letters. And there's a problem when it comes to human beings thinking about these ginormous numbers where our our intuition is just not made for it. So maybe somewhere out there, there are universes where people have hot dogs for fingers, but compared to the number of universes where things are much more sensible, that's going to be an infinitesimally tiny fraction of everything that's going on, so much so that I would say, let's not worry about that.
0: Sean, before we let this version of you
1: go, I wanted to find out whether you
0: enjoy these kinds of films, the sort of hopping through different universes, fighting baddies and
1: so on. I love them. You know, I have my own podcast called Mindscape, and I was fortunate enough to interview the directors of Everything Everywhere All at Once, uh, the Daniels. And we had a wonderful conversation where they revealed they're big fans, obviously, of the cosmological and quantum multiverses, but that's not where they got the idea. They actually got it from linguistics, Uh, And more philosophical questions. But it's not a scientifically accurate film. It's not trying to be. It's not a documentary. That doesn't bother me. It's a fun, provocative film that uses this device of the multiverse. But in the end, it's a human story. It's about choice and regret and what we're supposed to do with the universe and the life that we actually do have. To me, that's exactly the right philosophy to take about the multiverse. Like it's fun that it's out there, but it doesn't make our life any better or worse. Where you live right now is what matters. Sean, huge thanks for coming on and taking us through all this. Really good fun. Thanks
0: very much for having me. And that's it from us today. A huge thank you to Sean Carroll for melting our brains. This episode was produced by Madeline Finley and Eli Block. The sound design was by Tony Onachuku. and the executive producer was Ellie Bury. We'll be back on Tuesday. See you then. This is The Guardian.